Administrative burdens and an overload of paperwork have a cumulative effect on a medical group practice. So how is a doctor supposed to deal with it all without affecting patient care? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. William Jesse, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Medical Group Management Association. MGMA, as it's known, has more than 21,000 members who head more than 13,500 organizations in which more than a quarter of a million physicians practice. Dr. Jesse has been MGMA's president since 1999, serving as the nation's leading voice for medical group practices. Before joining MGMA, Dr. Jesse served for three years as vice president for quality and managed care standards at the American Medical Association, where he led the AMA's activities in clinical guidance guidelines, quality improvement, and accreditation. He holds academic appointments as a clinical professor of preventative medicine and biometrics at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center in Denver and is an adjunct professor of health policy and administration at University of North Carolina School of Public Health in Chapel Hill. He joins us today from MGMA's offices in Englewood, Colorado. Dr. William Jesse, welcome to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Glad to be here, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Well, Dr. Jesse, I mean, your group specializes in the group practice, and we're here to talk about these administrative burdens. And if you could, if you will, just give us a little lay of the land on that, because administrative business burdens in a group practice are quite different. Absolutely. It's one of the commentaries on our healthcare system that we spend more money on administration than any other healthcare system in the world. Estimates are as much as 30% total healthcare costs in the United States are consumed by administration. And that compares to places like Taiwan, which spend about 2% of their total healthcare expenditures on administrative costs. So like a lot of things in our country, we tend to overdo it. In medical practices, there are just a whole boatload of administrative burdens, which are in many cases duplicative, non-standardized, and they add tremendously to the cost of running a practice. When we talk about a group practice, I mean, how many folks are doctors are actually in group practices? I mean, it just seems it would be almost impossible for doctors to be out on their own anymore. It's been very interesting to watch the trend back around 1975 or so. Only about 32% of physicians were in groups. Today, the majority of physicians are in groups, and the proportion that are in one or two physician practices continues to shrink. Obviously, some specialties are more likely to be in small, solo, or two-physician practices, but increasingly the economics have been driving physicians to come together into groups and for small groups to merge to form larger groups. So group practice has really become the, the norm, and physicians by themselves or with one partner become pretty much the exception to the rule. Well, when we're talking these, some of these administrative burdens of the group practice, perhaps we could start with some of the smaller groups. And if you could tell our listeners, what are some of the challenges that physicians in these practices face and how that might affect patient care, um, some of the larger issues? We can sort of catalog a list of burdens that physicians have to deal with regardless of the size of their practice. And possibly how they'd be able to deal with them as well. Well, let's start with the credentialing process. Obviously, the idea of making sure that a physician's got good training, licensure, board certification, and so on is a good idea in terms of protecting the public. But every health plan separately verifies physician credentials. Every hospital goes through that process. We have some practices where they've actually had to hire a person full-time to do nothing but fill out and maintain 
physician credential applications for the various health plans. And the average physician is in about a dozen health plans, but in some geographic areas or in some specialties, a physician may have to have his credentials verified by 40 or 50 different entities. And that's a tremendous amount of duplicative activity. It adds to the cost of health insurance. It adds to the cost of practice operations. And the logical thing would be to have one application filled out one time, go to a central agency, and have that agency verify the information and disseminate it to anybody who needs it. But logic doesn't always work in healthcare, and unfortunately, we're still spending huge amounts of money unnecessarily on credentialings. If you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson with the Chicago Tribune, and my guest today is Dr. William Jesse. He's the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Medical Group Management Association. And Dr. Jesse is just telling us about some of the burdens that physicians and group practices face. And the interesting thing is, Dr. Jesse, is that doctors join group practices to sort of escape burdens. And what you're telling us is about how they can deal with some of these burdens and what some of the key ones are. Absolutely. And even if the physician doesn't personally have to deal with some of these administrative burdens, they add cost to operating their practice. And one of the trends we've seen over the last 10 years or so is practice operating costs are rising faster than practice revenues. The administrative cost is resulting in money that would otherwise be available to the physician as income being spent instead on administrative overhead. And it just drives the cost of health care up. As we hear more and more talk about health care reform, one of the areas where there's some great opportunity for saving money for everybody is in the administrative side. We talked earlier about the credentialing process as a source of a lot of duplication and waste. Another area where administrative burdens become quite onerous is in the whole healthcare financing side, starting from patient eligibility and verification. I've often used this as an example. If you walked into a restaurant, had a nice meal, and then took out your credit card to pay for it, Imagine the scenario if the uh, waiter said, excuse me for a minute while I go make a Xerox copy of this card, because later somebody will have to enter the number and send it into your bank for payment. But instead, what they do is in some restaurants even now have a handheld device where the waiter can actually swipe your card table side and present you with your credit card receipt to sign without ever leaving the table. But in thousands of medical practices around the country every day, we take patient health insurance ID cards and make Xerox copies of them. And then later somebody manually takes the number off that card in the patient's name and enters it into an electronic system. Well, as you might expect, one of the most frequent causes of denied claims is errors in transcribing either the patient's health insurance ID number or the patient name, and that results in a rejected claim. And every time the claim is rejected, you've added new cost to the practice. You've delayed your payment. It's amazing to me that in a country as technologically advanced as we are, we don't yet have a standardized health insurance ID card with a magnetic stripe on the back. But progress is being made, and hopefully that's going to become the norm. Colorado just passed legislation in their last session requiring standardized health insurance ID cards. So we're hoping that that'll happen around the nation. And how would that work for our listeners out there who would see an idea like Colorado and they want to bring that to the attention of their legislators? How would that work in Colorado? We know how it would make things better. Most practices already have a card reader because most practices allow patients to pay for co-pays, for example, with the credit card. So they've got card readers in the practice. But even if you did not have a card reader, it's probably less than a $100 item, and it eliminates a huge amount of cost from rejected claims. 
So one of the provisions of the Colorado legislation is the health plans are required to standardize the cards and to have that standardized information on the card in machine-readable form. And providers are also required by the legislation to utilize the machine-readable form. So it's even-handed legislation. It doesn't put all the burden on the health plans, but it shares the burden of making this conversion between providers and health plans. And everybody's going to wind up benefiting. It's going to save money, ultimately, for employers and patients by stripping out a substantial amount of administrative cost. Well, that is a very good point because a lot of times doctors worry about having to spend a lot of money. And if you're talking about a $100 card reader, that's not a lot. Are there other things, too, that you would offer our doctors out there and things that they could potentially do to lower and reduce costs or even something they should put in front of their legislators to get them to consider? Well, a couple of things I would suggest. One of the other areas that is often a source of denied claims is failure to verify a patient's insurance coverage and to find out what the patient's copayments and deductible amounts are in advance of providing the care. In fact, we've even seen circumstances where physicians have treated patients only to find out later that they had no insurance, that the card that they presented was no longer valid, they changed jobs, or for whatever reason didn't have insurance anymore. So it's important from a business perspective to verify patient eligibility and coverage at the time the patient's seen. But historically, the way you do that is call the health plan, and with the typical physician in a dozen or more health plans, you've got to have somebody at the front desk who has got all those contact numbers, and usually you dial the phone number and you get put on hold someplace. And it just becomes another hassle factor that consumes staff time, adds to administrative cost. So in many practices, people just don't do it. Well, there's now a new effort from the Council on Affordable Quality Healthcare, CAQH, to develop a standardized electronic portal that allows you with one logon to go into any of the participating health insurers' databases and with a standard screen display of information to get current information from that insurance company on that patient's eligibility, coverage, deductibles, co-pays, and so on. About 20 or so of the national health plans are already participating. So what I would encourage physicians to do is ask every health plan with whom you contract if they're participating in the CAQH core project. And if they're not, press them. Tell them that if they want to continue to contract with you to provide services, you expect them to make it easier for you to verify the patient's eligibility and coverage. And the way to do that is to participate in that national CAQH core initiative. And where else can they find out about this? I know that you have a website, www.mga.com, and there is a lot of information like that. Would you advise our listeners to turn to your website for some of these ideas? Absolutely. Uh, The MGMA website is a real treasure house, if you will, of information on a variety of aspects of how to manage your practice more effectively and more efficiently. For this particular project, I would encourage people to also look at the Council on Affordable Quality Healthcare website, www.caqh.org. One other area I should probably mention is in some studies we've done, we found that a tremendous cost area for most offices is the whole process of prescription refills, prescription issuance, things like writing a prescription for a drug that's not on the formulary for that patient's health plan. And then when the patient gets to the pharmacy and finds out it's going to cost them $300 for the prescription, you get a call from the pharmacist or worse, an angry call from the patient and that interrupts the workflow. It means the physician has to change the prescription in order to order a drug that is on the formulary. All of that can be prevented if you've got electronic access to formularies. 
much of the refill process can be automated. And what we're strongly encouraging practices to do is to make the investment in e-prescribing. It's looking as if that's going to become mandatory over the next few years in any event. Doing it now is a good way to begin to reduce some of your operating costs, managing the medication administration process that is likely to become mandatory in the very near future. Well, we would like to thank Dr. William Jesse of the Medical Group Management Association, who has been our guest. He's given our listeners some great ideas on how to deal with the crushing administrative burdens on the doctor practice. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. I've been your host. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com, register with promo code RADIO, and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. If you have comments or suggestions, I would encourage you to call us at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you today for listening.